we are starting a new series tonight called Ghost Stories, and this is a, a series on the Holy Spirit. And, and the reason that we're doing this series, we just finished last month the series called Encounter, which was about how we um, have these different spiritual disciplines or rhythms or practices as followers of Jesus. And the whole idea of those disciplines or rhythms or patterns is so that we would encounter the presence of God. And the presence of God is experienced in the Holy Spirit. Now, this series is not going to be uh, if you're like a theology geek, this is not a pneumatology class, right? So if you're like, okay, I want this guy to answer every single question I've ever had about the Holy Spirit, you will be severely disappointed. You're going to be disappointed anyway, but you'd be severely disappointed if you were coming at it like this This is the pneumatology class or the, or the theology of or the study of the Holy Spirit. It's not that. But we are going to tell you who the Holy Spirit is through stories about what he does, and, and, and it's a lot like, you know, when you meet somebody for the very first time or when you're getting into a relationship with someone, you want to hear stories um, about, about them. And in fact, my, my wife, she'll say to me from time to time, she'll just tell me a story about me, uh, tell me a story about you that you've never told me before. Uh, and so, you know, I'll make something up, makes me sound really cool. And, you know, so, so I tell her stories. But when you're, when you're meeting somebody, that's kind of how you grow in relationship. Like if I just sat up here and I just told you like statistics about me, like, hey, I'm five, five and a half, and I'm 175 pounds, 180, um, and I was born in Toledo, Ohio, you're like, this is, really, <laughs> that's the first time in human history somebody's said woo to Toledo, um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm not really telling you, like, you're not really getting to know me, you're learning some stats about me, but you're not really getting to know me, but if I, if I, kind of share stories about my life, like I've done from time to time over here, you now have a better kind of understanding. So that's what we're going to do in this study on the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 2, we're going to be in some other places. We'll have the text up on the screen for you, uh, but that's where we're going to be. But before we, before we dive into that, let me just pray for us and uh, just ask God just to meet with us and help us in the next few minutes together. So let's pray. Father God, we love you, and um, God, I do. I, I just invite you to this moment. I know you're here because you're everywhere. But Holy Spirit, would you make us aware of your presence? God, would you just give us illumination and revelation that is from you in these next few moments? Um, would you move, Spirit, just with, with freedom in this place? Would you, um, would you use me in whichever way you see fit? And Jesus, I pray most of all that you are magnified, that you are, are glorified, God, that, that you are the absolute center of attention um, for, the, for our remaining time together. And, and God, I, I pray that our love for you is stoked and grown, and um, God, that, that what we hear about you, God, would, would, would change us, would, would transform us. So, God, I commit this time to you. I ask for your help, for your glory, for the sake of the gospel, and for your fame, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, regardless of your belief in God or, or about God, and I know not everybody in the room is on the same page as far as what they believe about God, and I actually really appreciate that. 
Um, but regardless of what you believe about God or how you believe uh, in, in God, there is a desire in, in, I think, every human heart for some kind of supernatural experience or some kind of transcendent experience, some kind of experience that's bigger than myself. And, and you see that there's different ways that like people in culture and in the world try to access that, whether it's something like a, maybe like a tarot card or like a, you know, a fortune teller, or maybe it's something that's extreme like that, or maybe it's through like a process of meditation or maybe it's some other kind of uh, mysticism or some kind of thing like that, right? Whatever, whatever it is that you believe about God, there is, there's a desire for that type of experience. And what I think is kind of sad about the church, particularly in the American church, we're often the people who experience these supernatural encounters with God the least. And for many in the American church, life with God has become just a purely cognitive exercise, meaning life with God is just head knowledge about who God is, and it hasn't made the journey to our, our hearts. Most believers would say, most evangelical Christians would, would say theologically at least, they're, they're Trinitarian. It's, it's a word that just means like there's tri, there's three persons. So there's three persons of God, the, the Father, the Son, and the, and the Holy Spirit. But functionally and practically, Many believers live a, a binitarian, meaning we understand the Father. Like, we can understand, like, okay, there's, the, there's God the Father. We can kind of get that, right? There's a prayer that starts our Father. So we kind of can connect to that idea. And we kind of understand the Son, the person of, of Jesus. He's the one on all the paintings. So we can kind of get that there. But then there's the, the Holy Spirit, and we're massively confused about who he is. And it's really unfortunate because God is doing amazing things throughout the world by the power of his spirit. And if we are disconnected from the spirit, meaning like we don't have a connection, meaning we don't have an awareness of, we don't have a dependence on the Holy Spirit, it means that we're doing ministry. And I'm gonna use that word ministry several times to the sermon. When I'm talking about ministry, I don't want you to think about like what I do or what Jed does or Shannon does or Corey or Connor does. I want you to just think all of life because if you are a follower of Jesus, your whole life is, is ministry. We're all in ministry. Whatever God's given you, you to do, that's ministry. So if we're disconnected from the power of God or from the spirit of God, it means that we're disconnected from the power of God in everything that we try to do in and through our life. It means we're, we're disconnected from the power of God, so we are, are relying on our own power, which means we're only getting out of this life, we're only kind of getting out of the ministry that God's given us what we can put in, which is far less than what God can do and wants to do. When Jesus shows up in the world, and you see him all throughout the New Testament, well, through the Gospels in the New Testament, when Jesus shows up, what he's showing us is how God would interact in this world. When you look at the person of Jesus, what he's showing you is like, this is what Jesus would do. And in Jesus, in his life, in his ministry, in his death, in his resurrection, what he's doing is he's remaking the world. And now as the church, so the, when I say church, I mean the people of God, the followers of Jesus, we continue the ministry or the work of Jesus to change and transform and remake the world. That is the crazy thinking of the scriptures and the radical challenge of the teaching and the ministry of Jesus. And that is why the person and the teaching of Jesus is so fascinating. It's where Jesus stands apart from all other philosophies and world religions, which means for us, that the hope of God redeeming and reclaiming and changing the world in these days depends on you and me, the people of God, period. 
There's no plan B. There's, like, no other thing coming. There's not, like, a secret thing that's, like, oh, there it is. That's finally, like, that's gonna, the thing that's going to do it. It's you and it's, and it's me. It's the people of God extending the ministry of the life of the power of the kingdom of God because we are connected to it and living out the life of following Jesus. Now, when Jesus shows up in Luke chapter 3, and let me just read this real quick. In Luke chapter 3, there's this moment at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. So Jesus lived for, for 30 years, essentially, as a construction worker. He was in the family business. Uh, and then when he, when he was around 30 years old, this happened in Luke chapter 3. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry, and he was the son, it was so thought, of Joseph. That's why everybody looks at him like, who is this guy? Isn't that Joseph's son? He gets that quite a bit. So the ministry of Jesus begins, it starts, when the Spirit of God comes upon Jesus. Now in Luke chapter 4, there's this moment where Jesus goes into the temple, and he opens up a scroll from the prophet Isaiah, and he's now telling everybody, this is what I'm here for. Like, uh, this is like my big kind of arrival. Like, this is, hey, I want everybody to know this is why I'm here. This is what I'm going to be doing in your world. And he opens up the scroll and he says this. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, to restore sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim, easy for you to say, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, the first part of what Jesus says when he, he says, look, this is what I'm here. This is what I'm here to do is very important. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Again, he's quoting from Isaiah. He's saying that the spirit of the Lord is on me to do all this stuff, that stuff that he lists. Now, this is not just like a minor point. This is a strong important theological point that Jesus is making because what Jesus is saying and what's demonstrated through the Gospels and through the Gospel of Luke is that Jesus is not doing ministry just simply by his own divinity, but by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that, what Jesus is showing me and you, he's presenting a model of how ministry is done. And that, that he ministers out of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's critical to the life and the ministry of Jesus and to the life that we hope to live in Jesus. He's showing us how important the Holy Spirit is. So in Acts chapter 1, you're in Acts chapter 2 right now. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is what Jesus says to his followers. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All right? So this is what Jesus tells his followers. The way he tells them, he says, the Holy Spirit's coming, and you're going to have power to be a witness to all these places. Right? So then in Acts chapter 2 is where this thing just like breaks up. Acts chapter 2 is an incredible chapter. It's an incredibly important chapter um, for those who are are part of the the church, those who are the people of God. Because the Holy Spirit's poured out, we're going to see in just a second. The gospel is boldly preached. People are radically saved. And the church explodes into life. So Acts chapter 2 and we'll just kind of read through most of this chapter here. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly 
A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So it's just like every other church service that you've been to. That's what happens there. That's a joke. Um, it's crazy, and, and it's all crazy for them. Now, verse 5, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, and when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard their own language being spoken. So over centuries, the Jewish people had been scattered, but they come back during Passover. Um, so again, this is 40 days after the uh, ascension, and, and the disciples are gathered together. So the city is, is filled with these God-fearing Jews from all over the world, and into that moment, the Spirit comes. So they're utterly amazed because each one heard their own language being spoken. And they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, a hard word, and Pamphylia, which I had once in college, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, like, what does this mean? And I love verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them. They said, they've had too much wine. Have you ever been drunk? No, no one here. Have you ever been have you ever been so drunk that you mastered another language? No? Like you've never been like super hammered and you're like, hola. That's all I got. Um Okay, so Peter, Peter stands up. Man, I'm sweating. <laughs> Peter. <laughs> Peter stands up, verse 14, with the 11. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. He's never been to ASU. Now, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He says, in the last days, this is, this is critical. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. So the, so the spirit is coming to all ages, which is great. Even on my servants, both men and women. So women have a role in this. Amen. I'll say it for you. Okay. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So the presence of the Holy Spirit is there. It's there, and, and, he, and, he's, and he's quoting from the prophet Joel, and he's saying, look, this is what is happening. They're not drunk. This is a major moment for the people of God. Go down to verse 22. Peter's still saying, he says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which, you, which God did among you through him as yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. And I love this line because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Go down to verse 36. Thank you for that amen, Shannon. That was good. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. That God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, Savior, 
the sent one. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, he, and, he, and with many other words, he warned them, they plead with him, and then those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So in the, with the presence of the Holy Spirit, there's three things that we see in Acts chapter 2. Three things. If you take notes, you can write these things down. When there is the presence of the Holy Spirit, there are these three things that show up. The presence of the Holy Spirit brings the power of God. So the, 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 the wind and the, and the flames and the noise, but you see the power of God. It reveals the purposes of God. It reveals the purpose of God. Peter has all of this in, in his message, and there's, there's prophecy that's fulfilled there. And then lastly, it points to the person of Jesus. The presence of the Spirit of God always points to the person of Jesus. Now, this is why we believe that we do ministry under the same presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We're given the Holy Spirit in the very same way. Acts, which is an incredible book if you haven't read it, Acts is simply the story of normal people doing extraordinary things under the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, is the story of God from then until now. That normal people, like me and you, come into contact with the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God, and are encountered by his presence and do incredible things on behalf of the kingdom of God, making all things new again, setting people free because of the power and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what you and I need is more of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, which means what we need is an increased awareness that God is with us, that he's upon us, that he's moving through us, because without a sense of the movement of God on us and with us, what do we have? We have everything that our talent or that our ability can, can get us. And it's really not that great. We need, we need God's power and we need God's presence. So, so how, do we, how do we get that? Luke chapter 11, let me just read this to you, but Luke chapter 11, if you're taking notes, you can write this, this verse down. Luke 11, verse 9, um, Jesus is, is speaking. He says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So which of, your, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, I like how he just kind of slides that in there, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more, what Jesus is saying, if you ask, will he give you his presence? Now, the beginning, the, the verb forms in this passage here are, are, are really important. They're, they're present active, and we don't use that a lot in, in, our, in our language, but it would be like if I said, hey, your refrigerator or the refrigerator is running. Well, then you better catch it. You know that joke? Yeah, there you go. Okay, but if I say, if I say the refrigerator is running, <laughs> what I'm saying, <laughs> kind of cracking myself up. What, what, what I'm saying is that, look, the, the refrigerator was running, is running, and will continue to run. That's, that's a present active verb. So the, that's the form of these verbs here at the beginning because what Jesus is saying is ask and keep asking. 
Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. It's an imperative to do and to keep doing. Now, some of you, you, you might have been raised in a church tradition. I was kind of raised in a church tradition like this where you might be skeptical or even afraid of an experience with God. Like that's not something that you ask for. It's not something that you seek or expect. But what Luke is teaching us, he says, look, if my kid comes to me and says, Dad, can I have a uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwich? I'm not going to like take a rattlesnake and throw it at him, right? And, and what, what he's saying is like how much more, you're evil, you're evil and you wouldn't do that. So how much more, when you ask for the presence of God, how much more will he give you his presence? In the, in the book of Acts, six different times in Acts, Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's just in Acts. In Ephesians 5, Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's the same present active um, verb there. He's saying, like, be filled and keep being filled. That's the expectation in the New Testament, that the people of God would have a continual experience with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 5, Paul's writing, and I love this. I think this is such an amazing little uh, section of scripture here. He says this. He says, we know the love of God by the spirit of God that is poured into our hearts. So how do you know that you are loved by God? By the spirit being poured into your heart. How do we know we are loved by God? We have encounters with God's presence, and we are reminded that we are loved by God, which is everything, which is everything. Now, when some people hear this, and, and this is, I think, a, a, a fair question. They say, okay, like, if I was already filled, like at the moment of conversion, I got the Holy Spirit, so I was already filled, well, why do I have to keep on being filled? And it's simple, because you leak. And you leak because you have spiritual ADD, M- meaning you lose track of who God is and what he's doing in, in your life. I do. Does that ever happen to you? Like, there are moments where I know, I mean, I just know, like, as sure as the nose on my face, I know that God loves me. I know that he's with me. I know that he's for me. But there are moments, if I'm honest, where anxiety kind of pushes that out. Fear pushes that out. I'm stressed out. And I don't, I don't feel that. I, I don't remember that. It's like all the things that God has done for me have kind of vanished away, and it's been replaced with this stress or fear and anxiety. And it's crazy how fast that can just, that can happen. And so we need continual dependence on and filling by God of his presence consistently, asking, seeking, knocking. And the power of the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, isn't just to give us all the feels. Because Luke 4, Jesus says, the Spirit has anointed him to do what? In that passage we read in Luke 4. What has is, what is the Spirit anointed him to do? To speak good news to the poor to proclaim freedom to prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind. God gives his spirit so that we can do ministry. Now, now some of you, you might have come up in churches or been raised in churches or faith traditions where they teach you to to get the the spirit so that you can just kind of bask and soak in the glory, right? Where you have to have these kind of tingly encounters all the time when you got banners and tambourines and never-ending prayer services. Some of you have been in kind of traditions or churches like that. Now, those things aren't evil necessarily, right? Those aren't like necessarily evil, evil things. But here's what I'm saying. The presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is not just so that you can hang out with other Christians and feel spiritually high. 
The presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, according to Luke 4, according to Jesus, is for the sake of preaching the good news to the poor and setting people free in power and presence of the Holy Spirit. You don't have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of God, just for the sake of having an encounter. You have an encounter for the sake of ministry to the world, for the sake of loving the world, to continue to do the ministry of Jesus to the world, to proclaim good news to the poor. And the good news is is simply this. God does not count the sins of men and women against them any longer because of what Jesus has done. There's freedom and there's grace in Christ. There's there's a theological term that we use called imputed righteousness, meaning you are made right because of who God is, not because of who you are. And you're not just forgiven. It's not just that your sins are forgiven, that your debt has been paid. Your status is updated. It's changed being set right with God. It'd be like this. If you went to the ATM tomorrow morning, I don't even know if people still go to the ATM but if you go to the ATM tomorrow, let's say you're going to take out 20 bucks, and you go and you put your card in, and your account thing comes up, and it says, in your account, you have $2 million. Well, what would you do? You'd go into the bank, try to take that money out as fast as possible, right? Because somebody made a mistake, and you're going to get that money, and you're going to hide it on your mattress. So some of you would do that. Um, others of you who are more holy and honorable, um, like Shannon, you'd go inside <laughs> And you'd talk to the teller and you'd say, hey, uh, I, I don't know what the deal is, but I just went and checked my account. And there's, there's, it says that my balance is $2 million, so obviously there's a mistake. So I just want to make sure that you kind of knew that. And I said, no, uh, there's no mistake. There is a, an extremely wealthy benefactor. And, um, yeah, he just, for whatever reason, just he wants, to, uh, he, he wants to give that money to you in that way. You're like, okay, all right. Well, this still doesn't seem right, but... I'll take all that money. So you take the $2 million out, right? You empty your bank account right there, go home, hide on your mattress. And the next day you go back and we're like, I'm going to go back there and see what's up again. You put your card in, bring up your balance, $2 million again. And then you go inside the bank, you're like, hey, I, I, there has got to be something up with this because I just went and checked my account again. There's $2 million again. And Teller says, oh, yeah, I meant to tell you, this benefactor, his resources are limitless. So you can't outspend what he'll give. And it's, it's yours forever. Now, how long would it take for you to just start, like, giving money away to people? Ho- hopefully not too long. That illustrates the gospel of Jesus Christ. There, there is no end. No matter what, there is always grace for you. So the natural implication is that you should preach with your life and with your mouth. Meaning you give it away. You become the one who helps and loves and serves others in the way that you've been loved and helped and served. Do you ever have a moment where you have to talk to someone about Jesus or share some kind of Jesus truth with them and it like just doesn't go great at all? Like you're you're saying words, but they're not, they're not like coming out right. And you're just, kind of things, you're just kind of saying things and you're trying to listen to yourself. And you're like, I might be having a stroke right now I, because none of this makes sense. It reminds me, anybody ever see the Friends episode where Joey has to learn French? 
Yeah, and, and he's like there, and he's like, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, come on, French it up a little, you know, right? It reminds me, sometimes it feels like that. Like when I have to like kind of talk to somebody about Jesus, I'm like, do I even know like what I'm, I'm talking about here? But the, the Bible is telling us that the power of the Holy Spirit is available in those moments so that we would preach. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes this, and this, is, this should be super encouraging for us because he says this. Paul, Paul's writing to this church. He's like, this is how it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a very important church. And Paul's saying, look, when I showed up, it was a dumpster fire. My words didn't make sense. I was so afraid that I was shaking. But then something happened, he says, as I spoke the name of Jesus and as I was dependent on God, the Spirit of God filled in the space and you encountered him. Now, Paul's not saying like I was like a puppet, right? And words just kind of came out. He still has to do the work. He still has to speak. You still have to do the work. You still have to speak. But he admits it doesn't always go well. And God has a way of showing up and filling up those, that space, um, we, we uh, every, every summer for like the past six years, we go to uh, this little camp in Port Allsworth, Alaska, which is like rural bush, southwest Alaska. And um, a, a lot of seven tenors have gone in the past and, and go every year and serve as camp counselors and do other kind of things. And um, Connor, who I love, has, um, he has gone almost, I think he's gone every year with me. And there was one year where I asked Connor, I said, hey, would you mind kind of teaching one of the camp sessions? And so Connor was super nervous. It made him throw up. Um, but he did it. And, uh, and he got up to preach. And he had his notes. And he had work, worked on this message, you know, for, for months. And he gets up there. And he starts out and does his deal. And I'm kind of standing in the back of the room. And I'm just kind of watching him do his thing. And the next thing I know, he turns a paper like this. And he goes, and uh, that's all my notes. It was six minutes and 37 seconds long was his message, <laughs> and it was amazing. It was so great, and I am just the encourager, mentor that I am. I'm in the back of the room. There's like 80 kids in the room, and I was just like, Pah! like I just let out. <laughs> uh, but, it was, but, it, but it was great. But, here, <laughs> but here's the thing about that. God legit used that message. Shortest message in human history. But God used it. I, I just remember, like, other counselors came to me and they said, hey, my kids, for whatever reason, my campers, they really attached and latched on to what Connor said. And it was just a moment where God just came and filled up all the, the space and, and, and used it. This, this, this happens to me a lot of the times. So I'll... I'll, I'll, I'll teach or I'll speak with someone and and I'm like in the middle of it I'm thinking in my mind I'm like this is sucking like really bad like this is bad like this is not good and then I'll pray this deep theological holy ancient prayer that's like God help like like help me help 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 usually like three or four times I'll just pray help and there's something that shows up like God just shows up in that and use whatever it is that I'm saying 
Uh, and a lot of times the people are like, I don't even really know what you were talking about. But God just like really used that. And God like brought freedom in there. So Jesus says, I'm anointed by the Spirit to preach good news. And then with this we end. He says to preach good news to the poor. Now, the Bible speaks about the poor a ton. So this is not like a, a political thing. or This is like the Bible just talks about the poor. You can't read the Bible and not read about the poor and God's heart for them. And if you're a follower of Jesus, just the Bible truth is you must care for the poor. It's just who you are as a Christian. The, the American Bible Society, it defines the poor in the Bible like this. It says, These are, this is the poor. So when the Bible talks about the poor, this is who they're talking about. They're talking about those without land or without the economic, legal, or political resources to be self-sustaining households. The poor are a diverse group of the disenfranchised, subsistence farmers, day workers, indentured slaves, beggars, widows, prostitutes, the chronically infirm or ill, and resident aliens or refugees. So if we say that we follow Jesus, we have to care about the poor. And this requires the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit because we need the Holy Spirit for our hearts to be inclined to love others. So